<laughs> Aiden, what's right. up, man? Thanks for joining me. How's it going? Yeah, n- my pleasure, man. Uh, it's going good. It's going good. It's getting a little bit colder out there. How's uh, your Baltimore, right? Yeah. What's the weather like down there? Uh, hit or miss. Hit or miss. Um, hit or miss. It, honestly, up until a few days ago, it was absolutely stunningly beautiful weather. Um, I was you know, whenever you get those periods of the year where everything's perfect, you can go outside and it's the same temperatures inside and all that. It really makes me think like, why don't I just move to Southern California or something? (laughs) Then then I, you know, really start to think like, but do they really appreciate it the way I'm appreciating it right now? Like, probably not. Right. Where where are you? I don't actually know where you live. (laughs) Where are you? Yeah, I'm uh, like 45 minutes south of Toronto, kind of somewhat towards Niagara Falls, if you know that area. So I'm uh, a little bit farther north than you. I've got family down in New Jersey. So I've kind of I've been all in around DC, Baltimore, Philly, stuff like that. So it's uh, not an unfamiliar area to me. But yeah, as an American, I'm always like, Man, if I if I was an American, I think I would want to go west and south. It's just so beautiful yeah. out there. But but then it, I, well, I relative have... beauty though. It's it's a relative beauty thing. Like they don't get the the falls changing in the seasons as yeah. as much as we do uh, on the east and sort of northeastern area. And that's you know that that could be a little boring to just walk outside and see blue skies every day and nothing else. <laughs> now I don't know what I'm talking about. No, I think yeah. uh, there's there's some photographer I I can't remember who it was, but he says something like, "Pray for bad weather when you have a shoot because it makes for great photos." So if uh, I don't know if that relates to the changing of seasons, but yeah, blue skies it, all the time—that's boring, right? It can be for sure. I I do try and encourage my couples just because it's nice to be positive and optimistic about everything related to their wedding. But you know, I, I genuinely try and con- like explain to them that. Uh, you know, more dramatic weather generally leads to more dramatic photos or more creative photos because yeah. you're just like forced to problem solve your way into getting something that looks cool. Usually that results in something you haven't done before. Hopefully uh, it just depends. But yeah, I find I've found, I don't know if this is like a super common thing, but like I, at least kind of where I am in Ontario, like shooting in March and April are very like risky months of the year in terms of weather and usually by then at least kind of where i live the the snow has mostly melted and it's not very pretty and so uh it's always funny when i'll get brides that send me like pin boards of like oh yeah here's some inspiration and it's like the dead of summer yeah Yeah, Yeah. or not even it's like beautiful summer and i'm like you know you're getting married in march right like it's i'll do what i can but it's not really gonna look like this like thanks for the inspiration I've over the years learned to chalk that over over eager, you know, couples that send inspiration boards or whatever. I chalk that up to they're excited about their photos. That's good. That's a good thing. As long as they're not too fixated on, can you recreate the shot exactly? Then I, I welcome it with open arms just because at least I'm not some vendor, you know, a, a labelless no name vendor that they're checking off the list just because, you know, it's, it's good. But, you know, it's, I don't remember the last, maybe this happens more often in your neck of the woods. I don't remember literally the last time I was photographing in snow in winter weather and it was, you know, like, actually beautiful snow it's always like a a mushy half melted mostly rain and gray (laughs) around here it's like 
Yeah. When you actually have a couple in front of you and it's doing something, it's never that beautiful, fluffy white snow, right? <laughs> Ever. <laughs> Almost. That's, that's the stuff that fills up Pinterest and yeah. Instagram, but no, because I very it's much so the rare. same. Like, that's why. <laughs> right. And yeah, it, I, I don't mind. I really like the snow. I don't know that I, it's fair to say I like winter, uh, but I like the snow. And as a Canadian, when all my Canadian friends like to bellyache about like, Oh, it's getting cold. I'm like, Get over it. You've lived here your whole life. But it, uh, yeah, I wish, sometimes I wish that Ontario more resembled like the Rockies and Alberta and BC. And I'm like, oh, yeah, like they get a good, like it was snowing there a couple weeks ago. And I'm like, it's like October, wow. the beginning of October. And Jeez. I have friends out there that it's like inches of snow already. And I'm like, oh, I don't know if I could. My wife, Leanne, she's yeah. like, no, I, I'm not, I don't want winter that lasts that long, yeah, like, but it's, it's so beautiful. It's beautiful. It's brutal, but I don't know. Maybe this year it's for the best. Uh, it's, it's interesting with, yeah. uh, for, for whatever reason, I always do these directions towards COVID, but it's one thing everyone has in common right now. Uh, but I, I do wonder if, if things are going to be better or worse with people kind of being snowed in and, and, and sort of more inside, or if that's going to make the problem worse because then you're inside and the air is the same air circulating. I feel like it's kind of a coin flip as to whether or not people are just going to be around their own little bubble more and that creates a, a positive uh, result or they're still going to go visit other people but then they're trapped in the recirculated air that creates a larger problem. I don't know. I'm curious. Yeah, it's, it's fascinating when you try to think about all the ways that COVID has already affected the wedding industry and will continue to do so no matter where you are. Um, I know, yeah, for me, it's uh, my, my average year is very seasonal where I'll definitely like, I've done a new year's Eve wedding and done like two days after Christmas and different things. Like I've shot in the winter. Okay. Um, but uh, yeah, in terms of like act, like feeling more uh, stuck to being, outside just mm -hmm. kind of for the safety sake of covid and breathing in other people's air uh yeah it'll be it'll be interesting to see how it all pans out one of the biggest things that i as a photographer anyways have really loved about covid again not to say covid is a good thing at all but one of the good things i think that's come out of it is i feel like covid at least for some of my couples has been kind of like the the good excuse for them to scale back their wedding and make it more personal and not, not feel the obligation of like, Oh, my parents are, they want uh, all these people to come, all these guests that I don't know, or, you know, they want a nine tier wedding cake, like in the wedding singer or something like they can, they can pick and choose kind of the traditions yeah. and the things that mm -hmm. matter more to them that for me, having, having a smaller, um, guestless kind of i don't know in some ways it makes me feel a little less pressure all at the same even though it doesn't really matter because the client is always just my couple so who cares if there's <laughs> yeah totally 300 guests or not but that's that's one thing i really like is there's i feel like there's i don't know i would maybe i'll ask you do you feel like I know you've done a lot of Zoom weddings recently or maybe kind of towards the tail end of the summer do you how big of a difference is the atmosphere as opposed to like if COVID had never happened and it was a full on wedding day? Um, most, the vast majority, it's a totally different atmosphere, very scaled down, you know, the, the 
absolute priority players in someone's life, family or friend, are the only people there. Nobody, you know, extra. And um, and I and I do like that aspect. Plus, as the photographer now, you know, I've said this all along, my photos have an instant realization of value because mm. all those extra people who are still, you know, friends and family, maybe not as close, but you would otherwise have had them at your wedding. You want to involve them and get them excited and celebrate you through the photography now or through the video. Like there's, and, and a lot of times I think that value can be, you know, it's, it's a years down the line that people really start to appreciate their photos when somebody's maybe passed away or the memories start to fade. But now again, it's like instant. It's the day you send that gallery. Everyone's so much more energized to share everything. So it's, it's sort of, yeah, it's ramped things. It's affected things in all different ways across the board, but I've had some weddings where people were just trying to pretend though they were being cautious and wearing masks and all that people were trying to do everything in a traditional wedding template. And they had a lot of people there and, you know, it was fine. And it was all, appropriate given the the current state of things you know months ago it's interesting uh i, I see i like your wedding ring i keep seeing it it's pretty cool is it made they, of well uh, what is it made of so it's meant to resemble copper as in just like the metal of copper but it's actually made by a company called enso enso mm -hmm. e-n-s-o uh and it's silicone so it's literally ah. like it's it's not metal at all it's oh, a, i had that. yeah yeah wow. it, it bends and is complete like they i think they at least in the beginning they marketed it marketed it as a like uh, a safety wedding band so like um if you're a rock climber and worried about getting your finger stuck in a crevice or something or like if you're a woodworker and having tools yeah that yeah or a doctor or nurse or something your hand you have to wear gloves that that's probably very useful i don't know yeah and so it was like think 30 bucks and they have a lifetime warranty where if you rip it you just pay for shipping after a while and they'll send you a new one in the same size but it's like it's been fantastic i have a legit tungsten wedding band which is hilarious because tungsten is one of the heaviest metals you can get a wedding band made out of as far as i know huh. and the silicone is like nothing so to go from one to the other is quite funny yeah but uh yeah it's a it's a fantastic little wedding band it looks Any, good. Uh, did you yeah. get married uh recently did you have a photographer yourself or i did, yeah we got we got married six years ago we yes. were married six and a half years slowly approaching seven. So that's cool. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was funny because at the time, so we got my wife, Leah and I got married in 2014. And uh, at that point, our business, we operate under I, we operate, that's kind of a, a blurry line about who is our business. It's mostly me, okay. but my wife, Leanne, she'll second shoot Do you with use me. your she name kinda... in the business or is it like an umbrella term or phrase? Yeah. So the, the name, the official name is Hush Hush Photography and Ooh. Film. Um, I like that. We also do a bit that's of new. Video that's, a, that's a Thank new you. collection of words that I haven't. It's nothing similar <laughs> yeah. to something else I've heard. That's great. The, yeah, it. Uh, the name came so this. So 2014, we got married, but in 2012, 2011, 2012 was when we met and started dating, and uh, we went to a small. Bible college here in Ontario and bottle, it's bottle like college. What is that? Bible. Oh, college, Bible. It's like bottle. College. Pardon me. You <laughs> guys are drinking all the time, uh, but no, opposite <laughs> of that. Perhaps. That's good. <laughs> um, so anywho, it like, like the full student body was like 200 people. Oh, like we're gosh. talking like yeah. very small. And so when we started dating, like everyone kind of knew everyone's business. And so when I was convincing Leanne to like, go on dates with me. I was always like, Hey, let's, uh, let's go. I'll teach you how to light paint. So we were like 
going out at night and using photography as our excuse to, uh, or my excuse to kind of get her to go on these inadvertent dates with me. So when we started dating, we tried to keep it kind of quiet from the rest of the campus. So it was very hush hush ah, uh, between nice. us. And so <laughs> then there was like, there was a time I was trying to get us press passes into a, a concert and, uh, I had to make her a fake website to get her a pass to go in the, the press pit with me. Yep. And, uh, so I used the name hush hush photography. And so then when we decided, okay, let's actually make a business out of this and put prices on our website. Um, we kind of stuck with the name. And so, yeah, that was, that was, I love that. That it's got such a deep, uh, legitimate connection to your story and your history instead of random word generator you know, that a lot of people actually use. Yeah. It, yeah. uh, I, I go back and forth. Like if I would, if I was starting my business in 2020, would I use that name or would I, uh, just use my own name and I go back and forth, but the, my name, Aiden Hennebury, I feel Ooh, like if I was meeting that. someone in the grocery <laughs> like, store, yeah, Henry? no one's yeah, going to no. be able to no. spell all of that flawlessly, right? So hush, hush, I feel like it's a lot easier to uh, remember. So I've it got just that resonates. For me. It's got this resonant feature in it where it doesn't scream wedding photography. You just it kind of makes you think, huh? <laughs> Which, yeah. But in a good way, it, or or I don't know, it could be bad too. Hush, hush. Like, yeah, Ooh, what's going on? My, uh, but it just sticks my out in your head. My mother-in-law at first, she's like, is that like boudoir and like naked stuff? And I'm like, no, it's not that type of hush-hush. But you've got room else. to pivot if you need. <laughs> it, can, it can work. No, one of the biggest things, whenever this has come up in other discussions about my path so far as a photographer, one of the early decisions I say I would have changed was using a an umbrella term for my brand mm. instead of my name. Just because you never know how... Um, wide and far your business could grow and it's so much easier to bring other you know associate shooters on board or do other things where it's not solely dependent on being attached to me sam heard because anything i do if i'm not uh, you know intimately involved in the process yeah it's like what are you what am i doing here i'm pulling some tricks unless you know obviously i am upfront about it but it's just way harder to market someone else shooting for me if it's all under my literal name. So I think you, you definitely took the better direction, I, I believe. Okay. Yeah. I mean, there's exactly there's pros and cons. I think, okay. Am I remembering wrong here? Was there a point in time in the previous couple of years that you were starting, have started a photography agency of some kind? So explain to me, even though I am a photographer, what, like, what what does that look like or what is the pros of doing that or what kind of what would lead someone down the path to be like i think it's time that we start an agency what uh, well the motivator yeah. is too many leads that uh, you know i'm consistently unavailable for personally and i've never been super connected with my local community in terms of i'm not available so I know three people that are here, their names, and I'm on their list. Like I don't trade leads back and forth with anybody locally. So it was just, it kills me it, every time this happens where, you know, somebody discovers my work, they like it enough to fill out my, my contact form, you know, like who does that anymore? <laughs> and, and like they get through all these little barriers to finally reaching out just to, just for me to not be available on their date just kills me. It feels like so much lost potential revenue and connections and, and all this stuff. I like want to take care of these people who 
found something within my brand and my work that they like and being unable to do that uh, enough times over time just motivated me to want to do that. But, uh, I will say I, it was called the, the legacy lab and there's still plans for it. But at the end of the day, I was starting to feel a little too much like a manager and I, and I just don't want to manage the, I want to be able to have a team that I can just say, you take this, go run, be free. And, and then literally never have to think about it again. And that isn't the reality of running a lot of the, the those kinds of things. So, uh, I worked it into basically just making it a Patreon tier to do, uh, whoever's on that tier gets the leads and then they book them if they book them under their own business or they don't, and I don't have to think about it. And, and that's the end of it. And that's worked out a lot better for me in my personal, you know, with my priorities in life. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. You, you touched on an interesting thing there outside of wedding photography. I've dabbled in uh, graphic design over the years. And oh, one right. of, um, one of my favorite graphic designers, his name is Aaron Draplin, D-R-A-P-L-I-N. Just a really cool guy. He's from Portland, Oregon, or he lives in Portland, Oregon. Um, super down to earth, just super, he just does really interesting stuff. Very no BS, straight talker, just like a stand-up guy. Anyways, cool. he, uh, yeah, like most graphic designers, like the career path is kind of like, yeah, eventually you start an agency, you kind of, you're, I don't know if it's just like this, I don't know where this mentality comes from that to get bigger, you have to hire people and you have to exactly kind of like what you're saying, like you have to manage people. And basically what he found is, I don't, I have no clue how much money the guy makes a year. And it's not even about that for him at all, which is one of my favorite things about it, because a lot of people will ask him like, Hey, like you're leaving a lot of money on the table by not hiring staff and doing this and working with Nike or Apple or whatever. And one of his big philosophies is kind of, uh, he did like a whole lecture circuit, um, making it in the little leagues or something along those lines <laughs> where, uh, yeah, he kind of, he, at some point in his career realized that hiring people and running an agency he he would be doing less graphic design work and he's doing more managing and less less of the fun stuff that was the reason he actually got into it right and so i think that yeah that's interesting i think just to hear you say that that it what you were kind of starting to do there felt more like managing and less like taking photos which is what you love to do and what you're known for right yeah Not it's a totally different skill set as well uh, one that some people that may start as graphic designers would even actually be better at managing and doing all the <laughs> business aspects of, of that. But, um, Ooh, my new MacBook is here. Ooh, I might need to ooh. go make sure I, I'm going to go make sure I don't have to sign for this and re up my espresso. Do you mind real quick? I'm going to go grab go that. For Maybe it. We can do an on air unboxing. It's the, it's Love the it. M one silicone. Oh yeah. I was just reading about it. All right. Be right back. Sorry about that. <laughs> That's all right. I'm glad, That's I, exciting I'm glad I went because not not every person, even if it like requires a signature, we live in a neighborhood, we usually have the same delivery person. They don't, sometimes they'll just leave it. But this is like, I don't know if this is a thing in Canada, but especially with FedEx, apparently a lot of their delivery people are just like freelancers that go rent like a Pinsky or an Enterprise or an Avis truck. And then they just pick up packages and go drop them off. They're not official employees. <laughs> I literally right around the corner from my house have an Amazon Prime shipping facility where people do that, where it was so bizarre because for 
weeks and weeks, we were seeing all these cars like at seven in the morning, like our street would be crazy. <laughs> oh, wow. We were like, what are all these people doing? And so eventually I was walking my dog the one day and I saw like, yeah, like a, a Honda Civic just piled to the roof with Amazon Prime packages. I'm like, ah, oh, now it makes sense. Yeah, it makes, I mean, I'm sure it's easy side money. Uh, can I just say, I don't know how into Apple you are, but I have noticed uh, a real an actual decline in the outer packaging experience of their products with the new iPhones okay. and just, like the, the, the cardboard, when you would take a, a MacBook pro up until literally this year, this is the first time when you would take it out of the cardboard, it would be basically like wedged in, in a way that you didn't have all these little extra bits that would just fly out. Like clearly it's just as secure, but the, just the simple process of taking it out was not as fun. Same with the newer iPhones when they shipped, I noticed taking them out of the outer packaging was, First of all, there wasn't like a nice strip that you could pull and, and you know, just a little tab and just pull. It was like a messier experience. It felt, I don't know, Apple's starting to cut corners. Yeah, I mean, it's all under the guise of uh, being eco-friendly, right? Isn't that yeah. like why they don't yeah. include charters and things now? But then, Who knows? yeah. Uh, it's no it's kidding, one of those eh? things you kind of have to take them at their word. I, I predicted for a while that similar again with COVID, it's going to be sort of an excuse, a catch-all excuse for things either being delayed or not quite as on par. I think similarly climate – or not climate, but uh, environmental things can be written off of, well, we don't do it quite that way because it would be wasteful. It's like, is that actually true or not? Like, It might be, but anyway, I'm going to yeah. open this MacBook and see here. Do it. It's an exciting thing. still day. smells as good as ever, yeah. So I'm actually nervous, uh, not to totally derail, we were on a good roll there, but I'm nervous about these, right. these new MacBooks only because I have a interesting sort of workflow between my laptop and my desktop that mm -hmm. I use a feature called target disk mode, which essentially allows you to boot your laptop or any computer up as a, um, like an external hard drive. So you plug it in, in this target disk mode and you can connect it over USB-C I knew Nathan was wrong. Um, you connect it over <laughs> USB-C and it will literally to any other computer you connect it to show up as if it's like a portable SSD drive or something. And so that's fantastic. I have my Lightroom catalog on here, a bunch of like critical stuff that I need. I know that I need when I'm on the road or what have you. And I can, without having to copy stuff back and forth, boot it uh, through my iMac when I'm at home and then disconnect it, boot this computer up like normal. And it's all good, but because of the new silicon and some of the new OS things they've implemented, target disk mode is gone. Now they only have yeah. a, something called sharing mode, which I think makes it sh show up accessible, but as like a network connected drive, which can have mm. some unanticipated consequences, like where some apps don't support network connected. I, I don't know if Lightroom still does, but they used to, for example, if you had your Lightroom catalog saved on a network drive, you wouldn't be able to open it. It had to be saved locally. And it was like just infinitely frustrating. Yeah. It, uh, that's an interesting thing. I, I'm, I'm sure in time it'll get better, but, uh, always, I, I even still feel this way with USB-C. Like I'm running a 2016 MacBook pro. Oh, okay. Um, and, uh, yeah, just dongle city, like adapters yeah. everywhere for everything. And on some level, I'm just like, I am numb to it because it's just the way it is. But I remember at the time that it was at the time I was buying it, like, yeah, USB-C is the way of the future. And now I'm like, looking at slowly replacing this laptop and i'm like 
it still doesn't feel that way. <laughs> okay, I'm going to go ahead and call it. I am convinced that something related to manufacturing, probably due to COVID, uh, has prevented these companies from being able to ship with charged batteries. Every camera I purchased this mm. year, nearly every camera, and now the freaking laptop uh, does not come with a pre-charged battery has not come with a pre-charged battery including this macbook pro which is again not apple-esque steve jobs literally um spearhead apple was the first company to prioritize figuring out a way in manufacturing to to enable products to come partially charged so you wouldn't have to immediately plug it in apple was the first company to do that and then it became like industry standard and now what the crap i'm not That's that so bad, bizarre but it is kind of weird i just want to know well why. it's it's all those like little almost, I don't know, unspeakables that kind of make you appreciate a brand like Apple because you definitely, I mean, at the time I was buying this 2016 MacBook Pro anyways, uh, but the month before I bought this, um, I was running a MacBook Pro for a couple years before that. Uh, but at the time I was upgrading, I'd switched over to a Dell, I think it was an XPS 15 and on paper, uh, I remember those. all of the specs <laughs> Every, everything about the Dell should have been better and uh, ordered it on Black Friday and it finally arrived. And uh, within the 30-day return window, there was two separate times that I broke down angry crying. I was so mad that wow. I actually cried. And I'm like, I, I, maybe I cry more than most men. I don't know if that's just a generalization. But I'm like, this <laughs> thing had me really angry to cry, not once but twice, that uh, – Leanne was like, we're taking it back and we're just buying you the Mac. I don't care if it's more money. And that, to me, that was like a, a lesson learned in the Mac, at least for me, always just worked straight out of the gate. It wasn't like arguing with screen calibration and inconsistency between apps and things like that. And I mean, some of that is starting to creep in now, but hundred percent for them. Yes. <laughs> but, uh, at least, at least at the time, more than the uh, than the PC, the the Mac just worked for me. But you, yeah, you're very much paying for the the name in some ways. Uh, yeah, but I do wanna... think Apple did a good job of opening up people's brains or minds to the consideration, the realization, the truth that whatever specs exist on paper do not translate to what it's actually like to use the product. Uh, because that is why Apple got so much hate for so long uh, from people in the PC world and all that. On paper, they would consistently fall short. Although the tide is turning now, Apple is starting to pull way ahead with their you know own custom silicone and all these other things. But for the longest time, I, and I think it took Apple becoming incredibly successful for people to finally sort of let it sink in that it is about more than just pure stats. It is about how well integrated things are vertically, just a, as Siri starts talking to me out of nowhere. Siri is a, a big pain point in Apple. It's like, are you kidding me? Uh, anyway, um, yeah, but I, but I do feel like now if you think about that in other products, cameras, other electronic products, especially. Uh, yeah, people are more open to the realization that, oh, maybe this is the best camera for me, even though it's not the best on paper or the most expensive. Something else about the experience actually makes it a superior overall output in my creative endeavors. That was why I switched to Apple. I was, you know, in college learning on Linux and, of course, Windows uh, PCs most of the time. Uh, and I bought a Mac because my 
first job out of college bought it for me. They said, yeah, go on. And it seemed like, like you said, the, the screen quality was maybe a little bit better. Or just, I'd have to worry about it a little bit less. And I started to realize like it removed all enough of these small pain points, these little frictional things. And, and those add up to being a lot more headroom for me to concentrate on the fun, creative aspects of photography and what I was doing creatively that Apple was the superior choice anyway. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I know what you mean, man. It, uh, yeah, those those little things add up very quickly. <laughs> what were we talking about just before I derailed us entirely by going to get my package? That's okay. Yeah. Um, your wedding? Did were you have we still a on COVID? Did you have your uh, a photographer at your wedding? Were you like? I did. did. Yeah, they uh, they're now kind of my friends, or nice. not kind of my friends. They are my friends. Uh, their names are Jimmy and Sonny Bender, Green Autumn Photography and Film. Good. And uh, yeah, at the time, I'd been following them for a couple of years at that point that uh, when when we got engaged, we were planning to get married. It was like automatic, like, oh yeah, this is who we're hiring, no doubt. Nice. And then it's been cool since then. So I was in 2014 was our wedding day. Um, since then, I've like kind of just like rubbed shoulders and become friends with other local photographers. So I think we've had five different photographers capture our family and our life over the years. Like we... We, uh, I have two kids, uh, Leo nice. and Betty, uh, two and a half year old and a 10 month old. So oh they're my gosh. Uh, both very young. Yeah. To the best man. Next to being a husband, being a dad, greatest honor of my life. Without a doubt. Beautiful. Photography could go away. Just everything else. Anyways. Um, yeah. So we try to do family photos at least kind of once a year, usually at least, usually at least once a year. And it's kind of just been very organic that every time it's rolled around and we're like, Oh yeah, we should probably do some more family photos that, uh, we've usually like, Oh, we made a new friend or like, Oh yeah, we've been waiting to hire this person. So it's been, that's been really fascinating. I think to see how other, uh, photographers operate one of the, like within the umbrella of hush hush. I also do videography. And so oh wow, being a videographer on a wedding day and watching another photographer, it's almost, I don't know, it's almost like feeling, I feel a little bit like a secret agent where I'm like, usually I'm the one doing your job. And so I just like, in my mind, just very critically like, okay, what are the good things they're doing? What can, what are the the little tricks I can add to my bag and what are the things that I hate that they're doing that yeah. I never wanted to, or just like what, yeah. What scenarios do they get into? How do they work out of this and that? So the, for me, even though it was funny that we just spent a lot of time talking about gear, computer gear, but the, the creative decision-making has always been the part of following other photographers and other creative people in general that has always appealed to me. And that's definitely one of my favorite reasons uh, just to be one of your patrons is that mm. you, you don't just like, yeah, it's like every YouTuber is like, Oh, check out this brand new camera. And that's all it like every photography YouTube channel eventually just devolves into it a does. Uh, I know I've tried gear. to stop myself from that falling into that trap so many times, just reviewing something for the sake of it existing and not actually having used it extensively myself or believing in it as much as maybe I should. And, but you know, reviews really sell. People love hearing other people's opinions, but yeah, yeah, I don't I, know. And the other thing with YouTube is that, and I know I've said this many times before, uh, it tends to be a lot of really excellent YouTube video makers uh, when if you actually 
hire them as a photographer, as that as the output you want from them, they, they consistently fall short. Like their actual photography is not very good, but their uh, ability to make a fantastic video specifically on the YouTube platform is what they're best at. And that's a fundamentally different thing than what everybody watching these videos is trying to get and tease out and, and get a sense of is in their insight. It's like a weird, and I don't know, I don't know how to fight that or whatever, other than to just say it <laughs> like I did, but yeah. No, I, I completely agree with you. Just like as a disclaimer, I recognize I am Joe nobody to anyone. So anyone listening to this is like, who is this guy to be bashing YouTube? Oh, I'm in no way fine. trying to yeah. say I'm better than anyone, but yeah. Yeah, I, I like, there's a lot of guys that I know locally that are very successful on YouTube and different business endeavors. And a lot of those guys, I at least feel like me as an, a fellow photographer, the way that I see their work, I'm like, I feel like there's a lot of things that I don't know if it's necessarily trendy or just, I don't know, like, there, I, I feel like there's a, it's an interesting tension maybe is kind of the best way to look at it hmm. between like being incredibly good at your craft or being a good business person. And I think it's almost like, like bands trying to become successful in the music industry. Like I've seen really, really phenomenal bands that deserved to be massive that died out because the marketing, right. they just couldn't get the attention yeah. and kind of the same thing with photography that exactly like what you're saying. Some of these photographers, you're like, okay, they know how to talk to an audience. They know how to make a, Oh, here's five things that every newbie should be doing. Like they can <laughs> do that stuff really well, but the actual, like, if you're analyzing the content of their work. And I mean, just to be clear, anyone could say it's about me too. I'm not a, not claiming to be an amazing photographer at all, but, but I care about that stuff and I'm looking at it like the content of what they're putting out. I try to look beyond just like the surface level presentation of a really fancy YouTube channel yep. or how many followers they have on whatever social media platform that month, you know? Sure. Yeah. And I agree there. And there are certainly people that do both or do a lot of various aspects of, you know, their, their creative output incredibly well. Like those people do exist and oh my gosh, <laughs> uh, very envious, but yeah, it is very similar to, I think the, the musician example that you laid out. And I think more people could probably relate to that because I would guess most people grew up knowing somebody like really immensely talented at a musical instrument, just like naturally mind-blowingly gifted. And now they're like an accountant or whatever. Like they just <laughs> didn't, the, the track didn't follow through or, or they just wanted to keep it as a, as a, uh, not a profession and more of a hobby. And, and, and that's it. There, there's a lot of different paths everyone can take and some people that are immensely untalented especially in the musical world become insanely successful and you're just like oh this is all one big marketing thing how are all these lemmings into this song this is the worst song ever like <laughs> the most popular songs are generally just so bad but anyway it's uh, that's been a long-standing issue for me because i am sort of like strangely naive when it comes to pop music in general uh Okay. More often than not, anybody has a song on, and I'm, and the, I, I can recognize it as ha, like it's popular, but I know absolutely nothing about who the person is. I didn't really even confidently know who Prince was until like a couple years ago. Like I just, I know, and so, but being at more and more weddings over the years, four hundred or so now, uh, I've gotten a clear handle on like the most popular songs that most people like 
know together in a group and like to dance to. And I had to push back against that because I just found it so frustratingly uninspiring to hear the same stuff every weekend. I just listen to my own music now during receptions and well, I have for a long time. <laughs> I just can't handle it. Yeah. I, that's, that's a clever thing. I, uh, one of the fun things about being a videographer sometimes is that when I actually get to shoot with photographers that I know and I'm friends with and I like their work, um, I like, yeah, then it, it you're kind of just like hanging out with your buddy all day. I don't really hire second shooters, so I don't have that experience outside of just like, oh, we happen to be shooting the same wedding. Um, but I would always like be making bets like, okay, what song is the DJ going to open the dance with? And uh, yeah. we'd always take bets or like, okay, what song is she walking down the aisle to? And there yeah. was like, Twilight was really big for a while. And Game then Ed Thrones. Sheeran was really <laughs> big. Thrones, yeah. Uh, for the entrance. <laughs> Yeah, that was that had a little phase, which I was actually into. That was fine. But That's yeah, I never it, finished. Uh, it's it's fun to make bets on those things when you're uh, working with someone that you're buddies with. Like, okay, I think it's this, like yeah, it was Black Eyed Peas was one of the dance floor openers. Or now I see oh, some yeah. instruments behind you. Are those uh, the families? Are those yours? Do you play anything yourself? These are mine. Yeah. Oh, nice. So this is this is actually just what's stuffed up into my office. Uh, so that is a bass guitar that uh, I've had since I was 12, so oh, 15 wow. years. Nice. And this uh, is a ukulele. And I'm not even really that good at ukulele. It's just like the fun thing to take to the cottage. But my main instrument uh, is an acoustic guitar. Uh, I have a Taylor, what is it, 316 mahogany, something or mm -hmm. other. I don't know. It's fancy. But it was before we had kids, I had a couple of very talented musician friends, guitar player guys. And, uh, just before I had kids, they had one of, one of my good friends had bought this really expensive guitar. And he's like, Oh man, you gotta like do it before you have kids. Cause after that, you'll never have the money to buy a nice guitar. <laughs> so Sound, I did that. I, one, yeah. <laughs> so at one point I owned, I think eight different guitars, all like sub $500, like nothing fancy, yeah, yeah. but I was able to sell a bunch of them. And then, uh, talk my wife into being like, okay, this is like the one. And so I bought that. And, uh, yeah, that's, uh, music was my first love when I was in like grade six. I distinctly remember like my parents being like, all right, Aiden. So like, you know, what, uh, do you have any dreams of what you might want to do one day? And I was like, musician, definitely. And they're like, maybe it would be good to have a fallback. <laughs> Major in like, computer science, but keep yeah. that music going. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so my parents, they were great in terms of like, they were trying, always trying to steer me towards, yeah, something like a 14 year old can't understand, which is like, keep doing the thing you're passionate about, but like, also do something in case that doesn't work out. And so eventually, like that part caught up with me, but my parents were, uh, they were pretty patient in uh, being like, you'll come around. So yeah, and I mean, now, now the joke is that I do photography for a living anyways. So I don't know who won ultimately, but it's funny how often people like, like literally just happened. She, the person delivering my package, she's like, Oh, they, I love your house. What do you, what do you do for work? I'm like, I'm a photographer. She's like, I just see the disconnect in the brain. Like, <laughs> how are how are you doing something creative again? What's going on? Photographers still a thing. <laughs> uh, wedding photographer, I'm it. convinced is the only one that actually pays. Right. I, I, yeah, I've, that I've actually, that was, yeah, I've had a few conversations with Joe McNally where just it like, just 
off the cuff, like random comments where he's like, yeah, that's the one that pays. And it's not even a discussion, but he said it often enough. And I'm like, I'm pretty sure this is the only one that actually makes people money. Uh, unless again, you're like big into reviews or YouTube or selling the dream of photography without actually being one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think I, I, hopefully, uh, none of my clients are listening to this, but I have just like had such a serious love hate with wedding photography for almost my entire career, maybe until about a year and a half ago is kind of maybe when I finally maybe turn the corner. I think I've turned the corner. You turned the corner. We're just like, you didn't love it from the beginning. Ah, wait, is I, this, this is specifically weddings. Is that what you're specifically weddings? Okay. Always love photography. That okay. that's the easy part, but yeah. more just like, yeah, I, I always just felt like uh, the, there was a sense of monotony about it that sure. uh, was exhausting, but then also just like, I don't know. I was at the point definitely where I was like, you see the guys on YouTube who are, oh yeah, I just shot this commercial with Nike. And I'm like, oh yeah, wouldn't that be so cool? I wouldn't have to shoot weddings. I also, for better or worse, I still get fairly nervous just before every wedding day, like no matter what, like the hour before at like 10 AM, I'm trying to scarf down my lunch and I'm like, <laughs> okay, if I, I can't think about what I have to do later or else I'm going to lose my appetite and I'll be, won't be hungry. But I, I try to put a lot of pressure on myself to just like every day, every time I show up at a wedding, be like, let's make this the best one yet. And like, let's knock it out of the park. Let's like every day I want to be like on top of my game. I don't want to be like, oh man, like I really just kind of coasted through that. So I think that I add stress to myself unnecessarily. And so I think I, over the years, I was like, oh, yeah, getting out of weddings, like, oh, it would be easier to uh, to do something other than weddings. And so there was a point in time I was like, OK, commercial filmmaking, like working for just like companies in Toronto, just like corporate things, you know. But uh, sure. yeah, I met this I met this uh, director of photography, filmmaker guy locally in Hamilton here uh, just at like a meet and greet thing pre COVID last year. And, uh, he was someone I'd kind of known through the internet. And so I was pumped to meet him. I'm like, okay, I'm going to say hi to this guy and just tell him he's a cool dude. And so, uh, when he's like, yeah, what do you do? I'm like, yeah, hey, I'm a wedding photographer. And he's like, oh man, I miss those days. It was so easy. <laughs> and me hearing <laughs> that, I was like, yeah. it is. Cause I want what you're doing. Yeah. And so that was also like a, a little bit of a red flag. Like, okay, maybe weddings aren't that bad that, uh, yeah, yeah there, there's trade-offs that get filtered out. Every bad thing gets filtered out through what is put through social media, blogs, the internet, you know, whatever. When you, all you see is the end result, it does seem so much easier than it is in anything that is done. And you have to be in love with the process, not, not the end result. And if you can tap into that with weddings and get over some of the similar templates that people follow, again, sort of a benefit of what's happening this year, that's been upended. It's infinitely more interesting to show up and document with weddings now because <laughs> all weddings are different. Um, but yeah, if you can tap into the falling in love with the process and not just being obsessed with, with the final output, uh, I mean, that's important too, but I think the priority needs to be that, that process. And yeah. How long have you been shooting then? I don't know. You said 2014, 15, I think. Yeah. So, I mean, I picked up a camera in high school. It was yearbook class. So it was kind of like the design and photography uh, yeah. combination there that kind of got me hooked on it. Um, so that would have been like 2010 would have been the first time I ever picked up a camera. Do you know, and then bought... Just to, not to interrupt, but I know I'm going to forget if I don't ask right now. 
Do you know if yearbooks are still a thing? Do they still make those for students? Or is it all kind of digitized and forgotten about? I would have to think that it's still a thing. Okay. I, I would think so. so. I hope so. But I could I could see it going away eventually. <laughs> I mean, it's it's interesting to see um, my old high school, like they have a Facebook page now or like, yeah. oh, like, uh, you know, the students run a Facebook page for like the art class or something. Okay. And I'm like, I remember when I was in high school at that point, which I realistically wasn't that long ago. Um, they uh, like using Facebook was like not allowed at on oh. campus. Like it was it was a fascinating thing that it. Uh, yeah, I think definitely schools are more online and more plugged into social media than before. But uh, I would hope so. I mean, especially you as a wedding photographer, I'm sure you would agree that printed content of any kind has a value that digital doesn't. There's pros and cons to both, of course. I just haven't been uh, enough uh, around (laughs) enough kids that grew up with devices. I mean, I, you know, got my first iPhone in college. So I was, uh, you know, of course, plugged into the internet and everything since middle school. But these kids now, I sound so old, uh, (laughs) have grown up with literal social media since they were in elementary school, probably fourth and fifth graders now are graduating and in college that grew up with social media. So I could just see the allure, the appeal, or even the understanding of like, what do we do with this book now? Be actually lost on people past at a certain point. It's like, wait, so you just look at the pages of photos? I don't know. <laughs> I think that's going to happen someday. I really do. I hope not. But I mean, I know the value, right? but eventually, you know, it may not be there. Anyway, I totally derailed you. Uh, I love that you had a background or at least started somewhat on, on yearbook. You were doing photography in, in attached to your responsibilities with yearbook or something else? Yeah. So our year, the way our high school did it was yearbook was a class that you took it oh, at one cool. point. It, it was a volunteer thing, but then it always, everyone quit because it, it was a lot of friggin' work and then it mm. fell to one kid. And then, uh, the teacher just eventually was like, if we make this a course and they get a credit for it, more kids will do it. Oh, so that smart. was, yeah, that was when I started falling in love with it. And I bought my first camera, my first, no, I had an Olympus E. 500 something like that 50 something i don't know it was like a little dslr i think my dad still has it at home in a box somewhere but that was a good camera then my first camera after that towards the tail end of high school was the d7000 the nikon d7000 yeah so that was fun and then yeah so anywho fast forwarding a bit so all throughout college in side of in 2012 to 14 uh I was doing photography kind of just always on the side, like only a couple weddings a year. And I've never, never, ever been a high volume, uh, wedding photographer by any means. Um, never, like, I don't think I've ever shot more than 20 in a year, which is absurd to some people, but to me, it's like a nice balance. So even when I quit my job, totally reasonable. I think 20, 25 is the sweet spot where you can totally do it as it's like, you can live off that just fine, depending on, well, exactly, you know, exactly what your average booking rate is and your cost of living wherever you live. But that, yeah, that's fine. You know, any less than that. And it's a little scary. You know, if you only had 10 or 12 weddings in a year, I don't know who could live off of that anywhere. But again, a lot of outside factors go into that. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah. And COVID has even affected all of that in a really interesting way. Sure. But for me, I've got buddies that um, sorry, just a real quick 2016 was when hush hush okay. officially, got I quit it. my job and went full time with that. And so okay. I've been doing that ever since, but I've got buddies that, yeah, some of them will shoot 
like 40 or 45 weddings or 50 weddings in a year. And I, I don't think that's unheard of, but, uh, <laughs> I always yeah. like, how do you survive that? And they're like, it's a lot. And I think part of it comes down to, um, and I mean, it'd be interesting kind of to hear your thoughts on this or what you do under your, uh, photography business is like the level of, uh, kind of, availability and connectedness to each one of your couples when if you like for me shooting a average of 20 a year it allows me to like be reachable by email or to answer questions that to me might be kind of silly or repetitive but things that someone planning their wedding for the first time they don't know right um but i found that guys that shoot 40 or 50 it's kind of like okay fill out this itinerary form and i'll see you on saturday and to me, the the aspect of like building a personal relationship as much as I can with the client has always been a very direct connection to the the ease and the flow of a wedding day. Um, but yeah, what what is like an average year for you, and how do you handle the the client yeah. r- photographer relationship? That's great. Also, before I forget, I like how we have the same little color cables you know, coming out of our microphones <laughs> although i do wish i had the spring coiled spiral yeah <laughs> i do shoot about on average o- over 40 weddings in a year up to i think the most ever did was like 52 or something and Whew. and what i found again this is sort of just feeling it out anecdotal not hard evidence i don't send out surveys at the end of the year to get feedback although you should do that i don't um what I found is that timeliness, response time matters more than anything else. It almost doesn't even matter what you say sometimes, as long as you get back to them in a freakishly fast amount of time, <laughs> which I've always been really, really good at leading up to the wedding. After that, when it's like the editing phase, I'm pretty quick about turning around some sneak peeks. And then after that, it's like, you're going to wait a month before you get your gallery. There's just nothing else I'm going to be focusing on. And I'm going to take a couple of days to get back to you because I have other clients that have priority right now. But, uh, yeah, leading up to the wedding day, engagement session, all that, I have canned responses, you know, out the, up the butt. About, or I don't know. I should, probably a better phrase I should come up with. That. Wazoo. The, uh, the wazoo. Uh, that that uh, address almost anything. Because you're right. It is a lot of repetitive aspects, um, a lot of questioning that go into a wedding day that the same people have in slightly different variations, but it's like the same thing. So you can have a dozen canned responses that, you know, I, I typed up and just sort of saved once I realized, oh, I've answered this the same uh, in a slightly different way four times already. I'm going to save this, label it in big bold, and I can have it to lean back on. So, and then replying with that super quickly, um, people tend to, yeah, the questions subside. And I really, I do meet with people as many times as they want over the phone. I try and not have like an endless stream of email threads where things get lost and it's one sentence replies to things like get me on the phone. If it's a meaningful, deep series of questions, otherwise like I am all in on the wedding day. Like you are my sole focus when boots on the ground, I'm right next to you, wedding day, engagement session, what have you. And then outside of that, again, I take a step back for the actual editing process. So it's all about striking that balance, but that's also unique to me, not having kids right now. If I would have a very different answer, I'm sure, uh, maybe even go as far as to say, I would outsource some of what I do either in editing or album design, which I have done with album design to some degree. Um, 
uh, all those things. Like you may want to even outsource it once you have a couple kids, stuff like that. Like the answer is going to be different for everyone. I do think there's a way to balance it if you've got everything kind of operating at maximum efficiency in terms of not needing 20 hours to edit a full wedding gallery. Like some photographers are in that situation where they, they literally need like 20, 24 hours spread out over multiple weeks to mm -hmm. edit in a consistent manner where they're really, really happy. I don't need that. I've, I'm very happy with my output. I'm very happy with my consistency. All my clients are, and I've got it down to, you know, hours. And so just really pushing yourself to get those systems in place, you know, your process for booking somebody and sending out contracts and keeping up with invoices, like all of that is done sort of in an automated way. It frees up a lot of time to be able to handle those 40, 45 weddings. Um, give it your all on the wedding day, give it incredibly fast response times leading up to that. Uh, and anyway, so I've kind of answered everything all over the, the map, but, yeah. <laughs> but it did kind of loop me back into something we were getting into earlier, which I forgot about before I got my MacBook, which was the sense that you need to expand your business with actual people and humans and employees. I think a lot of what is happening now enabled by the internet and just endless new iterations and evolutions of apps and software being designed is that you can do a shocking amount completely as a, oh, I'm not, I'm not going to say the phrase it it's the, the word solo and entrepreneur combined, but I freaking hate it. <laughs> it's a, it's a, just a buzzy word that I'm just, ugh, I hate buzzy words. <laughs> dialoguing yeah. as a verb is one I hate. Let's uh, uh, dialogue synergy. together. Like don't yeah, say dialogue. that. Let's talk. But being an entrepreneur, running a business completely by yourself, I think it's shocking how much you can do completely on your own. And you should mm -hmm. just work that, I, that model, I believe, to death uh, and until you have no other choice but to outsource it because you know, you're just dying under the stress or you have a, a life-changing moment like a, you know, a child now that's going to totally disrupt every aspect of your life, I'm sure which I would let you speak to more if you have any uh, insights to that. But. Yeah. It, I mean, one of the, I don't know if this is going to matter to most, like I've always never had a studio where I worked out of. I'm like, that's a lot of overhead that I do not need to pay. And again, as kind of a, uh, like the Aaron Draplin, like making it in the little leagues, like just a, being a, kind of a, a little league photographer. I'm like, I don't want, the finances that, and the headache that come with the studio. So working out of my home before we moved to this place and I'm in my home office right now, which is a luxury and something I'm very thankful for. It's very day. cozy. I like that. Is that a real typewriter? Heck yeah. I've yeah. got a couple. Oh. I, uh, yeah, I, uh, I'm a big typewriter guy. This is interesting uh, hobby. This is my tuxedo, my black and white. Uh, oh, okay. I cried once again, cried <laughs> all the time when my wife gave me that one. Aww. That was a surprise. But um, anywho, uh, what was I talking about? Having space and kids. That's right. The biggest thing that I found was separating kind of work in life uh, when we had kids. And just before that went, like when I was working a day job just outside of Toronto, it's easy to be like, when I'm in Toronto, I'm in work mode. And when I'm home, I'm in home mode. But when you work out of your home, like my home office was in the living room for a little Ooh, bit while and, yeah. and literally in the living room when my wife was on maternity leave, shout out Canada. And, uh, and we had a kid that was really difficult to be like trying to work when literally I turned my head 90 degrees and they're just there hanging out like, Hey, come cuddle with us. Let's watch a movie or something like that. So 
when we moved into this house, having a separate space for work has just been a lifesaver and definitely my biggest piece of advice to anyone that is starting their own business uh, from home as a one-man band. Like, have a separate space for working that's different from where you just live your life because, yeah, creating healthy boundaries between, like, how much you want to work in a day or in a week or in a month. Like that was one of the, among many motivators to quit my day job in Toronto, um, wanting to just have more flexibility to choose my hours. Like I hated, I was waking up at five in the morning and I was in the office by six just to beat the traffic. And then I would leave at three and hit traffic on the way home. Like it was, it was a nightmare for two years. My mental health was just awful for a while. But, uh, yeah, I can imagine. and I got two weeks of vacation a year and that was it. Yeah. And I'm like, that's such a miserably small amount that now like being self-employed and having done it for a couple of years, I definitely have a better understanding of like, okay, I always joke with my father-in-law who's an accountant who works nine to five, Monday to Friday, every day of his life, um, that I get 52 weeks of vacation a year. Cause like, oh yeah, you're a wedding photographer. You only work <laughs> on Saturdays. Right. So Anyways, yeah. having that distinct <laughs> <laughs> having that distinction of like work time and home time was something that initially was one of the reasons I was quitting my day job, but it's almost one of the things I've adopted back into my life. Not in the same way, but uh very much as just like a, a healthy thing to avoid burnout and to avoid hating my job. And and that probably also plays into back when I was talking about turning the corner about realizing, okay, weddings aren't that bad, that it really, when I really clued into all the benefits that weddings give me, I realized it fits really nicely into my life, like seasonal work. So in the winters, I'm not working very hard. It it, it turned, it, it lucked out. It was lucky the way that we had our kids in the winter. So I always had a couple mm. weeks or months to like adjust to having a new kid before I had to go out and be working again. Um, it just like, yeah, like the, as you were, you were talking about editing and trying to get that process like streamlined, like now, um, editing like photo wedding. I never turn a gap. I never turn a wedding around less than one month from the day of the wedding, because I found that if you, in my experience, if you do it too quickly, almost some of the magic is missing where like, uh, you don't have the anticipation. Like it's one of, one of the great things I think about Christmas. I love Christmas is that the whole month in December, you have all this anticipation about what, what am I getting or who am I seeing and all these things that, almost like I feel like turning around a wedding specifically too fast. The memory is almost too fresh in their minds that they'll be like, Oh, you didn't capture this thing or, Oh, you missed this moment that I almost feel like one month is like the beauty distance to be like hundred percent agree. Yes. Even if uh, I am able to turn a wedding around fast and I have it ready like a week or two after I will hold off until uh, I'm even later than I'm supposed to deliver sometimes just to build that anticipation and excitement. You're right. And I don't, honestly, I've heard this feedback from couples all the time. Like, hey, we're just checking in. No rush whatsoever. We don't want you to rush anything because we don't want anything crappy. I mean, not not those literal words, but that's like the implied, like take your time with the edit. People (laughs) actually do want that, assuming you've given them like a photo to get excited about and they're not freaking out that you lost like their images or something. 
um, yeah, you're right. It, it does. It's exciting. It's like going on vacation. It's like a lot of times the, the fantasizing about what it's going to be like is more exciting than actually going. <laughs> I would say quite well, often that's the reality. And I think it, it all like kind of sets you up to be in love with your photos, specifically for wedding photos, right? That, uh, yeah, it, it, how do I say it? Like you're, you're, you're already inclined to love your photos. If you are, especially if you've seen a couple of teasers and you're just anticipating this really, really incredible product. Right. And yeah. so I think kind of what you're going, what you were saying before going back to, um, the client experience, like quick turn emails and things like that, all of that leading towards this overall positive experience for your clients that then when you do deliver that gallery. And one of the things too, for me, I always like, it's in my contract and I tell all my couples in during their consultations and things like that, like expect that it'll take a maximum of three months to get your photos back. And so kind of like under promising and over delivering that trying to set it that far away. And then when it's been one month, like literally today, I uh, returned a wedding and like, you can kind of like, I don't advocate lying to your clients, but be like, I was so excited that I just pumped this out. I just couldn't wait. I had to get working on it right away. That I think also just makes your client feel really valued and cared for. Like they are special to you. And I mean, I don't say that to a client that I didn't like working with. I'll just be like, Hey, here's your photos. Thanks again for hiring <laughs> me, giving me yes. your money. But, uh, yeah, besides that, I think doing what I can in every other way, unrelated to the photos themselves, trying to build a really, really positive experience at every checkpoint is super important. I just read, I think it was a patron post Patreon post you made about having the three automated emails about the status of yes. the wedding after you Through shoot. I think that's brilliant. Thank you. I think that's so Yay. smart. That <laughs> I was clients... worried that it was going to be just lost on, I, th I think it is hard to explain. And I, I'm so bad. I, I'm really good at coming up with like an idea, but then like boiling it down to this is what I'm, this is why it's actually going to help you. I'm so bad at getting that across, but uh, okay. So my pose made sense to you. Please elaborate. It made, yeah, man. It's <laughs> good. I immediately went to like, okay, how can I implement that? And so I'm like, I, I need to get better at automating emails and things like that anyways. But one of the sure. other ideas that I kind of borrowed from you and kind of took it in a slightly different direction is kind of the idea of a client page. So correct me if I'm wrong, all of the clients that hire you, they can go to samherdphotography.com and log in and have like their contract and their yeah. wedding photos and stuff there. And you even record a small message for some couples just saying, yeah, hey. I'm back and forth on it's enough friction that I tend to fall behind and then catch up and then fall behind again and catch <laughs> up that it's it ebbs and flows. I don't always do the personalized like welcome video. Uh, I do have like a generic one that I send in that in place of that. <laughs> that I mean, that still counts. But just the idea of having a client page is something that I've done that all of my clients. And I think like I'm, I don't barf, but I'm still stuck on smug mug. And I'm like, finally about to switch over to pick time because all of your automated, uh, especially like albums and things like all of that stuff, all the opportunities to save time as we were talking about time and priorities and kind of outsourcing things to a degree. I think that's really, really brilliant to strike the right balance between work and just 
being a human being, yeah. right? That, um, but anyways, the going back to the automated emails about like the status report, I'm like, okay, maybe I can work that into their client page where they can be checking that. And every time I hit a milestone, just like, okay, we've reached phase two and we're on our way just to like, I don't always do teasers for my clients. It kind of sure. depends if I can, I try to, but it doesn't always work out. But I'm like, that at least would give, it's almost like the shipping indicator when you yes. order something in the mail. obsessively checking that thing. Like, yeah. Yeah, you want so, that. It's, yeah, all that type of idea. I think that there's a, there's, there's a lot to be said there about and pick time, doing stuff for your clients. PickTime did, I love their app implementation, just the concept of an app, because it allows them to release a ton of different ideas from a lot of different photographers uh, preferences. And then you can sign up for pick time and pick and choose which ones make sense instead of being locked into this is the pick time way. This is the smug mug way, which is awful, by the way. And yes, um, it is. This is the, the, uh, what, uh, whatever other brand name, like the app thing, although I think they could have used a better name than apps, maybe like uh, automations or something. I don't know. Mm. Apps kind of make it confusing until you're in in there and setting it up, then you're like, oh, I get this. I get what they're going for here. Uh, it's really smart, but I do think there's still a lot of room for improvement in those kinds of, with those kinds of services. It's just a bear once you've got something deployed and working good enough uh, to correct course or do something that doesn't require a ground up, you know, reprogramming and thought process. It's tough, but the app stuff, yeah, it gets you pretty close. Gets you close. And just yeah. let me just outline it just because I haven't talked about it in a while. I think really yeah, since go for, it. for anybody who hasn't heard of it or tried it. BigTime lets you uh, assign apps, automations. They've gone through a couple different terms for it that like you can say, okay, attached to this genre of gallery or this exact collection of galleries uh, that you hand pick or whatever, assign to a gallery um, a series of actions that get applied. So they actually, I just yesterday launched a bunch of um, holiday promotional uh, apps or one app assigned to all my galleries that has a predetermined workflow of uh, an email goes out on this date with this percent off, then another email follows up like a couple weeks later. And at the same time, that uh, ad is populated in different areas of the actual gallery of images. And all of this like works in concert with one another in a way that all I have to do is, is click enable. And then you can get in there and modify the, the amounts or the language if you want, if you want it to really be in your voicing, but they've got it all pretty well streamlined. One of the apps that I made was this process uh, is what is the official title? It's called like gallery to backup system app or something. It's the worst name ever <laughs> I need to rename it. But, uh, it, you know, when you're ready, when you have the, the, the wedding shot and photographed and you have maybe an image to work as like a cover photo, you can, uh, enable the app, attach an image or whatever. And then it automates a series of milestone kind of update apps that says, Hey, your images are backed up and imported, uh, ready for safe. There there's, you know, good for safekeeping and going to be starting editing soon. And then it sets a phase two milestone two weeks later or something uh, that says 50% done editing, like get excited, blah, blah, blah. And it just keeps people in the loop during this lull in conversation that most photographers have between them and their clients. 
until uh, it's finally like the day before delivery. It says it's ready for uploading or it's being uploaded. You'll get an official delivery email. And so, yeah, just keeps people in the loop, gets them excited, gets them honestly familiar with the process of going to the gallery. Because so many clients just simply forget. They download everything as a zip file and they never come back. And they forget how to get access to that original space that you gave them their photos in. I honestly wish there was an app to time delay the zip file download for like a month. So people were forced hmm. to come back to the exact online gallery and they could download individuals if they, if they wanted, but like almost like a, a, a preset, I, I hate to use the word lie, but like a, a big button that says download zip file here, but it takes two weeks to prepare it or render it. So that people are just forced to create the habit and the familiarity with going back to their gallery. Because that really is the best place to experience most wedding photos, I think, rather than just like dumping them in a folder on your computer and looking at them 800 at a time. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> anyway, so just for anybody who's interested, PicTime has solved a, an interesting problem in a way that can be a little overwhelming. But if, if you just put in a little bit of research, um, you realize like it it does way more than you could ever do if you try to create these systems from, from scratch on your own. So, yeah, it's a beautiful thing. <laughs> it, it like, yeah, reading about those different things on your Patreon, I think were interesting to me to really recognize how many opportunities I have that I'm leaving money on the table. And I kind of, I don't, I, I've taken on a different philosophy now in my business where like before I was like, yeah, I don't want to like try to squeeze every penny out of a client. Like I don't want it to feel like slimy or like kind of gross. Yeah. But then yeah. when I actually, you know, you make an album sale and you make 500 bucks or 800 bucks, you're like, whoa, that felt nice. <laughs> like that was awesome. <laughs> Let's do that again. Yeah. And so even for me, like for years, I've been thinking like print sales are dead, man. And to hear even Sam, just like how much you just occasionally you'll sell prints. And like, I'm like, that's kind of insane to me, but also really awesome that I, yeah, I just got finished running an album sale. And again, I haven't made the switch over to pick time where I'm, I'm curious to see kind of how their automated, uh, album. It's a totally different world from smug like. mug. Have you done campaigns to smug mug even have, do they have coupon codes or something? Like, I don't know what they do. I I've done it all. I've done some stuff, but done it very manually done it just like, okay, yeah. I understand the the philosophy behind automating these things, but again, because I kind of operate with a small enough client base that it's not too sure. impractical yet. And it was also just kind of the time of the year that I'm like, okay, I want to make the switch to pick time, at least start moving over there. But I'm like, this time of year, the amount of time it'll take me, I'm going to run out of time to make album sales and this and that. But anyways, it worked out like... When, yeah, when I did start finally, even this year was a good reminder. Like you sell a couple of albums and you're like, it doesn't feel like I'm like, I'm not expecting anyone to buy an album from me or pushing it on anyone. But occasionally you realize, wow, this client kind of has more money that they want to spend. And when you can kind of sh make it something that they're benefiting you in some small way as well, like... Mm -hmm. That's it's certainly not the one and only reason someone will buy one of your albums. Uh, obviously, a lot of that comes down to how you market it. But it, uh, yeah, why, why to me, why would you not at least just make it an option? No one has to buy anything from you, and they totally. may never. But at least the option is there if they would like it. That 
I also, uh, you know, we've talked about this has come up a few times, leaving money on the table. I think that's a really healthy thing. If, if you have the sense that you aren't exploiting your clients or, or maximizing every dollar out of them, but you know where you could if you wanted to, that's a really good place to be uh, from a business perspective because when you are in a downward cycle, uh, just purely because of chance, maybe you just had a bad year of bookings or because of something like what we're living through now, yeah. whatever the reason, you're going to have those those down years. If you know uh, those options are available to you to start squeezing a little bit more revenue out of places where you hadn't previously taken advantage, that's good, healthy headroom to have in your building or business when you need it, when the time comes. It's like, now I can pull the trigger on pushing those album sales or those print sales really a lot more efficiently versus from day one in your business being obsessed with squeezing every dime out and running a per perfectly optimized machine uh, rarely unless you've done an exceptional job saving and and having like a, a rainy day fund or what have you um rarely is there going to be any place left to grow like it's great to feel like you are leaving i think money on the table for that exact reason you you have a buffer if you absolutely need to, uh, to, to kind of pivot and start taking, taking advantage that that's my, or if you're just simply bored and you're just like, everything's running so well, I might as well do this. I have no other way to make money, whatever. I mean, yeah. So it's, uh, I love that the, the little league kind of quote or whatever you keep pulling back from what's his name, Adam, Aaron Draplin, Aaron Draplin. Yeah. yeah. I feel like the, the idea should be like, like being, what was it the best in the little leagues, but having the, the capability or the talent to play in the majors, you know, if you want it <laughs> or if you got the call, like that's, that's yeah. great. But you want to be kind of right under the radar at all times. Never. Uh, the other thing is it's just really tough to have any other place to go when you're completely at the top of everything you're doing. So that's actually, you've just, now I'm just curious to know. So within the photography community, I don't think it's uncommon to say that you are a well-known personality at least on some level in the sphere do you do your clients know that when they hire you like no, oh wow sam definitely not no <laughs> some might no? some some do but the vast majority do not i mean i get a lot of clients that are photographers themselves and followed me for years and and you know they're finally getting married and they ask me that's awesome but that's definitely the exception uh hmm. maybe a quarter of my clients would fall into that category. The rest, yeah, they're just local people that found me through Google, found me through a previous word of mouth from another client. Uh, they have no idea. In fact, I kind of don't want them to because the larger my uh, footprint on social media, I think the more pushback I'm going to start to get with people just simply hmm. being uncomfortable with having like thousands of likes on a photo of theirs from their wedding. It's like, ooh, yeah. you know, if, if you got, bring that to 10 years down the line, if you if I continue to experience the same growth, you know, I have hundreds of thousands of followers with tens of thousands of likes on every post that can be exciting. Maybe for those photography clients that hire me, because it kind of loops back to their business a little bit, but because the vast majority of my clients are just normal people, I kind of want to hit the nuke button and start all over from scratch and just have this cycle hmm. every 10 years of a new business being built. <laughs> that that's sort of maybe the smarter move than constant growth because especially being in the DC area, I've had clients from my first year of shooting that not just because of the internet, but their job, uh, working for the government or whatever, they, they have sensitive jobs and don't want to be 
mm, out there. That's interesting. Yeah, I've had a couple of um, like within my contract, it's clear, like I, I kind of had the authority to share whatever I want from their sure. wedding, yada, yada. Yeah. But, uh, Same. I've had some clients that just before signing the contract were kind of like, Hey, um, you know, I work at a school board and I don't want pictures of me drinking at my reception on your blog or on your social media. Like, can we just amend this to cover that? And it's, uh, yeah, it's always fascinating to me when that comes up, usually about one a year. I think there was two this past year, but, uh, yeah, that would be an interesting thing. I think specifically to where you work, uh, just so close to Washington DC that, uh, you'd have a lot of, yeah, you would definitely rub shoulders with lots of government officials in different levels, right? Yes. And if not as my, my clients, then, uh, oftentimes almost every wedding, there's a guest, uh, who's in attendance that, you know, does have a sensitive job for whatever reason. I shot a wedding. I didn't even know who he, who he was. I knew his name, but I didn't know what he looked like. John Podesta, who's at like okay. the center of all these weird um, conspiracy theories, like QAnon <laughs> groups and all this cr crazy conspiracy theory stuff. But he's like the, at the center of all these. He's He was a White House chief of staff for Bill Clinton, all this. Hmm. And uh, I finished shooting and Nathan, Nathan was like, Somebody said the name John Podesta, the, the wedding. I was like, what? And uh, yeah, he was just there with his wife. We get pictures of them like dancing with everybody else, but he's like a big deal, huge deal. And at the center of a lot of controversy uh, for better, or for worse, for right or for wrong. Like, and I, and I was like, oh, well, I'm shocked the, the client didn't say like, can you not sh share any photos of certain people, you know, whatever. It's, uh, yeah, I think it's a problem that's going to actually start to get a lot worse. And I think right now people don't appreciate just how valuable the marketing of being able to show what you shoot freely, uh, just how valuable that is right now. I do charge clients extra to, to basically not buy the copyright, but buy the privacy of the pictures, which yeah. is weird. It seems like people should be able to have that, but I, if I can't show what I'm actively doing, then I literally don't have a business. I can't hire any, get anybody else to hire me eventually. I mean, it's not like a, an overnight thing that would occur, but for somebody just starting out, it, it is, it is immediate thing. They can't, yeah. they can't start a business if they can't show anything like that's an, almost impossible. So it's really an interesting problem that I fear the mm. internet actually could start to work against us <laughs> uh, in, the, right. in that way. Right. Yeah. And videography, I come across similar things sometimes where someone will ask like, oh, in our one of our films, can we use like this copyrighted song on the radio? And I'm like, hey, because of copyrights and this is how it works. I'm do you like, know how DJs it, deal with that, by the way? I've always wondered. DJs, man, are they just freely allowed to play anything that they're getting reimbursed for? reception, yeah, you mean, yeah. specifically? Oh, I think so. I don't think anyone is. I know, but uh, legally, I don't think DJs book. make a lot of money anyways that yeah. to go after them. You're probably what a crappy job sticking around till three in the morning. One at, like, yeah. you know, of a lot all, of, heavy equipment. of all the right. jobs that a wedding vendor, like someone in the wedding industry can have DJ has got to be the one that I would hate the most. You know who I think has it made though? I have this conspiracy a limo drivers. It's so it's got to be so easy. They show up like 45 minutes early at the bride's house. Everyone hops in the limo. They drive to the venue and then they'll take you to like a and photo why spot. Why are they the ones that always get it something wrong? I feel like if <laughs> anything goes wrong, it's with the transportation. Wrong address. Oh, they don't yeah. circle back to go a second time. They, like, 
But they, they also never own the company, do they? I mean, I don't know. Yeah, almost never. Usually they're just a hired driver, right? Yeah. But like the number of times, I'm not even joking, the number of times I've had like a limo driver just like he's dropped us off for photos. He's just hanging out in the parking lot, like chain smoking. <laughs> yeah. He's like, hey, are we like going soon? Yeah. I'm like, man, Candy crush. you don't have to do like, anything. Exactly. I'm working. <laughs> exactly. Like, why are you in a rush? And oh, man, there's been a couple of times. So specifically when uh, my wife, Leanne, and I are shooting together uh, in the morning, we split up where I'll cover the guys. She'll cover the girls. And then uh, usually we only drive one vehicle on the day. Usually it's me. So then usually she's the one that's hopping in the limo or the party bus uh, and getting transported around. And like limo on top of everything we just complained about, about limo drivers, they also like, they're either like elderly and drive so slow or usually (laughs) they are just psychotic like breakneck running lights whipping you around like oh man i'm like i feel like this is a simple job i don't know how it just seems to attract some of the least concerned people ever yeah i don't know either i just imagine the person with the actual butt in the seat on the day it doesn't have incentive yeah. to care they're not being reimbursed but you're right it is generally <laughs> all the responsibilities pretty straightforward it's you know laid out but it, yeah it does tend to go wrong i tell all my clients if you listen to anything that i say even if you don't hire me please be on top of be very clear and almost obsessive about what's going on with your transportation because whoever you're talking to with the company is usually not the person with their butt in the seat. Oh, yeah. And there's almost always a miscommunication <laughs> if you have to go back a couple times or there's a couple different locations, what have you. But the actual job itself, yeah, you're, you're just driving a car. It's super easy. And people tip you probably uh, quite well, yeah. especially if you do a send-off and you've had some, some uh, you just finished your wedding day and the last person to see you is the, the person driving you. Like, yeah, you're probably slipping them a pretty awesome tip. Uh, I would, uh, if it was my wedding. So anyway, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, of all the responsibilities. That's good to know. I'll yeah. try to get into the limo business by the time you get married and uh, <laughs> collect my tip. That's amazing. One of the couples this year did something fantastic. I just absolutely loved it. And I, I would, I really need to blog about it or do something to nudge clients, just plant the seed of the idea. They rented a classic car, you know, really nice oh, yeah. Porsche and drove that to the next, uh, the shooting location and then the, the ultimate reception area. And that car was so fun for them to drive themselves. It was cool to take pictures with. They wanted to take more time in you know, going to other locations and like maximize the time as well. It wasn't just like, okay, we gotta do this, let's, let's rush. It was like, part of it was just enjoying the, the luxuriously beautiful sports car. Uh, I thought that was just, beautiful and of course i've seen other couples like be chauffeured in like really nice old classic chauffeur cars rolls royces and such but getting your own car that you drive yourself you know what the killer is about those rolls royces though or like anything like earlier than the 60s is they don't have ac (laughs) so i've so many brides i've seen hop out of the car when they get just before the ceremony face is beat red hair and they're like especially because they're like yeah they're like this is horrible (laughs) they're like we either opened the windows and ruined my hair or we kept the windows up and just boiled so yeah if you're a bride or groom listening to this right now be aware of air conditioning in your car yes and yeah that that's a joke you're so correct on that (laughs) 
<laughs> anyway, well, I, I really appreciate this. Uh, I, I want to leave some room, some headroom, again, talking about leaving uh, opportunity on the table. You know, we can have another talk at some point. I feel like we can keep going. Sounds great, man. You were I worried. I can't remember if it was before we started recording. You were worried, like, an hour and a half. How are we going to do that? But we're right at, like, 124 right now. So I don't want to... Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to put this you. This has been super smooth. No, it's. Uh, can I, it's can I ask what, what, what camera yeah. are you using for your webcam? Oh, it's one you've written off. It's a. I'm just kidding. You haven't written it. It's a Z6. And oh, uh, yeah, so I have Nikon Z6. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just kidding. A Nikon Z6. And I've got a, the FTZ adapter, and this is a Sigma 24 okay. the art series. Yeah. It, uh, it's going to die any minute now. Okay. I'm sure of it. Good. I don't. Good but to stop that. Uh, yeah, it's, it's not. I, I'm in manual focus. The. I've done the autofocus, but be, it relies on the motor in the lens. And so it's just so loud when you uh, use autofocus with video that, uh, yeah, it, uh, I've got this just with the USB-C cables just plugged in. And because of Nikon's utility webcam thing, there's like limitations. I'm sure the audio and video sync is so, a little so bit Nikon off. So Nikon did me, but... a, put out a software utility. Canon also did that. I haven't even played with it yet. Uh, yeah. So I've literally just got a USB-C cable right now. I have like, again, I was saying, I think just before we started the stream that uh, I've been helping my church with their live streams. So we have a lot sure. of the like HDMI to USB dongles and yeah. things. So all of those work really great if you're pulling out of an HDMI port. But uh, yeah, other than that, the Z6, the, the thing that killed me the most about, I shot a, a D750 as my main body for years yeah. was controlling the white balance so you can control mm -hmm. like you could go to the different modes but you couldn't control your tint and that always just killed me i felt like in at video? least i in, in video on anything what i felt like i don't know Can't maybe happen. i've just never figured out how to use it but mm. with the z6 you, your white balance customization is so much better so for when i'm doing video it's so much did they so also much is that one that they updated to support raw footage recording didn't they? Yeah. They so that? I have, okay. it's an, you need an Atomos oh. Ninja recorder. So I have that actually. Um, and so I shot a wedding day using it, uh, a month ago, actually. And, uh, I just shot an N log. So N log is like, obviously like your step down from raw. Cause man, I don't got the hard drive space. To yeah. Deal with and raw. then you have to like, like render everything is optimized. I would assume but, to even, yeah. <laughs> but I found that using the recorder, it's like good and much more controlled environments, but for a run and gun situation, I also, I, I had four batteries for it, like the massive Sony L ones, but I'm like, that thing just eats batteries more yeah. than I'm used to that. Mm. I, uh, yeah, after shooting that one wedding, I'm like, the footage was really nice to grade it. And it's really easy for Premiere to edit it and so on. But, uh, after that, I'm like, my clients, I don't think would ever really notice the difference between just like recording internally or uh, using like, yeah, shooting an end log and grading it and this and that. So I'm like, you know what? Yeah. I don't think I get paid enough to care that much anymore that I'll just do a really good job, especially because things like white balance that gets baked into your file when sure. uh, yeah. you're not shooting with an external recorder because I can dial that in a lot better. I'm just like, okay, just be more cautious on the wedding day. Slow down. That's my big thing. It's just like, okay, Aiden, slow down, man. Slow down. It's okay. No need to rush. That's a good mindset that, to, uh, to keep right at the surface. It's, it's hard to do. It's hard to yeah. practice. I'm like... I'm a bit of a stress ball and uh, my wife is just so chill about everything. So we balance each other out nicely that way that she's always trying to like pass on her Zen to me to just be like, it's okay, relax. <laughs> You'll think of something. It, it'll be okay. That's sweet. And she's right as she always is. But uh, yeah. Oh.
All right, man. Well, uh, appreciate it. Do you want to just plug your, I don't know, Instagram or website or something for anybody? Yeah. Uh, my website is probably more interesting than my Instagram. Uh, so it's just hush hush, uh, photofilm.com, not hush hush of photofilm. Um, yeah. yeah if yeah, you yeah. go hush, there, hush, one of the, cool. Nice. Yeah. Thanks, man. Yeah. Oh, one of the what? You're about to say oh. something. Oh, I, uh, oh, the video just died. Is your video still on? Yeah, we're good. I can hear you. Oh, oh okay. no. Oh, can you hear my me? bad. <laughs> I can hear you, but what I can't see you. Strange I don't know way what to happened go out. There. That's okay. Uh, I feel like you're about to say something uh, related to your website. But. I was just going to say, uh, if any other fellow photographers, the most interesting thing probably to you on my website is that I made an entire course uh, about teaching brides and grooms how to plan the layout of their wedding day. So it's called the wedding day timeline course. Um, cool. You can buy it if you want, but I'll just send you the link if you message me. But that, uh, yeah, do that for your clients. They really like it, and it's very helpful. And it cuts down on the back and forth emails you have to send. So. Absolutely. Anywho. Nice. Well, I appreciate that. Thanks. All right. Hopefully we can do this cool. again sometime. Have a good day. Yeah, this again. Right. Take care, man. Bye.